this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today on january 3rd india began vaccinating a section of its teenagers with covaxin about 7.4 crore children between the ages of 15 and 18 are eligible to receive the covid-19 vaccine in the country as of saturday over 2 crore children have already taken their first dose only covaxin was approved for use in this age group even though last october india's first dna vaccine zycovd had been granted emergency use authorization for use in children above the age of 12 some experts have argued that since covid-19 in children is in general not severe the entire adult population should have been vaccinated first over 90% of the eligible population in the country has received the first dose but second dose coverage remains less than 70%. However, others have pointed out that now that adult vaccination is well underway and progressing, the program needed to be opened up to children as well. India has also announced the precautionary dose, a third dose of the vaccine for healthcare and frontline workers as well as adults aged above 60 with comorbidities. The move comes amidst a global surge in COVID-19 cases with the new variant of concern Omicron dominating. Unlike some other countries, however, India will get beneficiaries the same dose they had for the first two, either Covishield or Covaxin, without any mixing of the vaccines. So how did the children's vaccination program come about and how is it progressing? Do all adults need a booster dose or will only those at risk require it at present? Do mixed vaccine doses work better for the booster or is the same vaccine being given all right as well? How does a precautionary dose help protect vulnerable individuals? and will we see more variants in the future to speak to us about this and more we have with us today dr shrinath reddy president of the public health foundation of india good morning dr shrinath reddy and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast good morning doctor close to 2 crore teenagers between the ages of 15 and 18 have received their first dose of covaxin so far Could you tell us about how the decision to vaccinate children came about and how the program is progressing? I believe children were generally considered to be a group at lower risk of serious illness if infected. Nevertheless, there are also people who are more likely to get infected because of their high mobility in that age group. And once the adults who were prioritized initially were getting vaccinated in large numbers it was felt that children in the older age group of 12 to 15 also should be of, of 15 to 18 uh, should also be offered uh, that protection and perhaps later on uh, the 12 to 15 age group also could be added the, the idea here is that these are children who are very mobile whether for educational purposes or social purposes they mingle with a lot of people they are more likely to acquire the infection because of that mobility and they are also likely to carry the infection back home to the adults some of whom may be fairly susceptible either because of old age or because the immunity they acquired earlier this year i mean in 2021 may have started fading so for both these reasons i think children were considered to be important agents to be targeted certainly in terms of severity of illness 
they do not form the highest priority group. But in terms of extending the protection of vaccination once adult vaccination has covered a large number of people, the older children become the next priority group. As you told us, doctor, most children do not experience severe illness. Some have questioned as to why the government has decided to extend the vaccination program to children when we still haven't covered everyone, all adults with the second dose. Well, I cannot speak on behalf of the government. Obviously, this is a question that has to be answered by people who are taking the decisions in the government. But the rationale that has been offered is that many of the adults have acquired immunity either through the vaccination program or through a great deal of exposure to the virus, particularly during the second wave. And the general consideration was that there is a large fraction of adult population which has been protected by this so-called hybrid immunity, where some people have both been vaccinated and also have been infected. In fact, some epidemiologists have estimated that particular fraction to be about 40% of the adult population. So it was felt that as the adult population was continuing to be vaccinated, it could be extended to children as well. Whether there should have been a more intensified effort in covering the remaining adults who have been incompletely vaccinated and then only child vaccination should have been taken up or the protective umbrella had to be extended to the older children because their mobility because of educational and social reasons was also considered an important element of their vulnerability to infection that I cannot say, but that is perhaps the rationale that's being offered. Also, there have been some reports that while children by and large generally do not get severe illness, a small fraction of them do land up in hospitals. That has been the experience globally as well, a very small fraction. And therefore, if you are getting a very large number of children exposed, some of them will indeed end up in hospitals with severe illness. So the idea of uh, Omicron being highly infectious and therefore likely to affect a large number of children would mean that some of them are likely to get severely ill. And we do not know what the consequences in terms of long-term effects of COVID will be, how long-lasting those effects are in terms of what has been termed as the long COVID. So I suppose in terms of extending the protective umbrella, there was a rationale. But if you ask me a pointed question as to whether the first priority should be to complete the vaccination in vulnerable adults, I would say yes. But if both can be done simultaneously, then certainly you can take up child vaccination as well in the older children. Absolutely, doctor. Doctor, last October, Zykov B, a DNA vaccine that received emergency use authorization and was also the first vaccine in the country to be approved for those aged 12 and above. The government had ordered one crore doses in November. Is there any indication as to why we haven't seen the rollout of this DNA vaccine in the program for uh, adolescents? I'm afraid I cannot answer the question because I'm not in the vaccination policy making group. Therefore, I will, I'm as curious to know from the media as you are. I, I am not in the position to answer this question. Moving on, the government has also announced the rollout of a precautionary dose for healthcare workers and those aged above 60 with comorbidity. Doctor, how far will this precautionary dose go in helping to protect the vulnerable from newer variants of SARS-CoV-2 like Omicron? 
protection has to be understood in terms of two expectations. If the expectation is that the vaccines will prevent infection per se, that's an incorrect expectation because we know that these systemic vaccines will produce systemic immunity, which do not really deter the virus from entering the respiratory tract. But if they can fight off the virus when it is still in the upper respiratory tract in the nose or in the throat, rather than invading the other body tissues, especially the lungs, and cause severe illness, then the vaccine serves its purpose. Now, what has been really discovered over the last one year, very clearly with all of the currently available vaccines, is that they do protect in terms of preventing severe illness, which results in hospitalization or death, but they do not prevent infection per se. They do, over a period of time, they do reduce transmissibility because if a person is very mildly ill, he or she will not discharge too many virus particles for too long a time, and therefore the transmission rates also will come down. But the primary expectation being that it is going to reduce severe illness. To that extent, these protective doses or booster doses will serve the purpose, even against the variants. While it has been shown that the standard two doses seem to have a diminished efficacy against the new variants, especially Omicron, the booster dose or the protective dose, as it's being called, does seem to enhance the protection by producing a copious amount of spike protein antibodies, which can overwhelm the virus through their attack on some of the original spikes, which are still being carried by the virus particle. So the third dose essentially will not protect us from getting the infection as such, but will pro protect us a little bit more, again, against severe illness. Absolutely. If you want protection against the virus entering the body, then currently the only method is to wear a very good mask or double mask, move in well-ventilated areas and stay away from the crowds. There are potentially new vaccines that are likely to be available. They are still being tested, which are called mucosal vaccines. Uh, the current vaccines produce more of systemic immunity and the antibodies they produce are IgM and IgG. Now, these fight off the virus in the bloodstream and do not allow the virus to enter the cells, but they do not effectively wash off the virus from the mucosal surfaces of the nose and the throat. Whereas the mucosal vaccines, which can be inhaled or sometimes ingested, can actually wash off the virus from the mucosal surface even before it settles down there. Those vaccines are being trialed in different parts of the world. We do not know whether they're going to be effective. We still have to wait for those results. And only if they pass the trial tests of efficacy and safety, they can actually be used for preventing the infection per se, because they produce a fair amount of what are called the IgA antibodies or the secretory antibodies, which can wash off the virus, even as it settles on the mucosa of the nose or the throat. So, doctor, this means that potentially all of us will need a third dose and possibly if there's another variant, even another dose? No, all of us do not need a third dose because those who are young and who have a generally robust immune response, a good innate immunity to fight off any virus, they do not require additional booster doses as a priority. 
Of course, over a period of time, a very large number of vaccines are available. The policy could be relaxed. But right now, I think we ought to leave it to our innate immunity and whatever immunity partial that's been acquired from previous vaccines and previous exposure to the virus through natural infection to fight it off. The protective doses are really meant for those whose immunity is insufficient or inadequate to fight off the virus and therefore are at the risk of a serious bodily harm because of severe tissue damage, which may land them in respiratory failure or other organ failure and cause death. So these are the people who are immunocompromised. These are the people who are elderly and therefore the initial immune response would have been weak in them and would have waned also faster in them. And people with serious comorbidities who are likely to also have some sort of a deficient immune response or have serious organ damage. So we ought to reserve the vaccines for people who require it the most in terms of they're being at the risk of severe disease. There is also another group that needs to be considered. That is the group who are likely to have repetitive high exposure to the virus. Even if you're a relatively young doctor or a nurse, if you're seeing 10 or 20 patients with COVID every day, then the likelihood of high viral load entering your body and overwhelming your immunity is high. Therefore, they too must be protected. And that's why the frontline health workers are also being offered this particular uh, protective dose. Most others who do not run the risk of severe disease if infected or run the risk of high loads of repetitive exposure do not require the booster dose or the protective dose, especially when much of the world, many parts of the world are under vaccinated. You want the vaccines to be available to as many people across the world, especially the vulnerable adult population, before you start prioritizing younger age groups for the protective doses. Doctor, several other countries have mixed vaccine policies with one particular shot being given for the original shots and another for the booster. India, however, will be giving the same shots that were received for the first two doses, Covishield and Covaxin. The National Technical Advisory Group on Immunization said this was because if vaccines are mixed, reactogenicity increases. Could you explain this to us, please? Well, so far, the evidence that we have internationally is of mixing two different types of mRNA vaccines or mixing a virus vector vaccine like AstraZeneca with mRNA vaccines and also to some extent mixing the AstraZeneca vaccine or an mRNA vaccine with what's called the protein or the virus subunit protein vaccine. And all of them have suggested that the heterologous mixture is more protective than homologous mixture in which the same vaccine is repeated. In India, because we have used Covaxin mostly in, uh, as a domestically produced vaccine, and that has not been extensively used elsewhere, and Covishield has actually been given to 90% of the people, we do not have clear-cut evidence about how mixing of vaccines helps, even in a two-dose combination. There, is, there are a couple of studies uh, that have happened. Uh, one accidental study in which there has been in Uttar Pradesh, a small group of people given uh, Covishield in one dose and Covaxin in one dose, and they had a good response. And another study from Hyderabad recently as a planned study also has reported much better immune response with the mixing of these two vaccines. 
but a much larger study is being conducted in Christian Medical College, Bellor, and we probably will have to wait for the results of that in terms of better immunogenicity and higher level of protection. So um, between the two vaccines that are available at the moment, I think the decision has to be made mostly on the basis of the supply chain availability. Since co-vaccine production is not in a high volume, I think making that as a booster or protective dose to the very large number of receive, who have received Covishield may not be logistically feasible. On the other hand, if the viral subunit protein vaccines become available in large amounts in India, and some of the immunogenicity studies show that they do have a much higher uh, immunogenicity boosting effect, then they can enter as the protective dose. But that is for the government to decide on the basis of the studies that are conducted and also on the basis of the supply chain situation. You said heterologous uh, vaccine programs do seem to have evidence offering better protection. Do we need to bring in more vaccine options into the market in India? Well, I do not believe that we really need to chase the mRNA vaccines. Partly because of the expense, the kind of conditionalities that these manufacturers are imposing. And frankly, they're not even available in large numbers because if you look at the way North America and Europe are buying up these in bulk quantities for third-dose boosters and fourth-dose boosters. They may not even be available in large numbers. On the other hand, if the time-tested viral subunit protein vaccines also give very good spike protein antibody booster, then you don't need these vaccines. And there have been concerns about safety as well with both the mRNA vaccines as well as with the virus vector vaccines. Not major uh, challenges in terms of large numbers of people having adverse effects, but even a very small fraction having myocarditis or heart muscle damage or clotting uh, problems, uh, which have been seen uh, particularly in younger women and myocarditis in younger men, they can be potential problems. So on the ground of cost, on the ground of uh, the indemnity issue, on the ground of lack of uh, adequate uh, supplies that are going into developing countries, I do not think we need to really look at mRNA vaccines. On the other hand, if we produce our viral subunit protein vaccines in large amounts, they can actually meet our requirement of the uh, an additional uh, vaccine option uh, beyond the Covishield and Covaxin that we have now for a heterologous combination. Doctor, how do you think the conduct of the Central Drugs Standard Control Organization has been in the vaccine and drug approval process overall? Has it been transparent? There are some indications that phase three studies of certain vaccines that have been given emergency use authorization are still not in the public domain. Well, unless we actually see all the data that's been submitted to them in the public domain, we'll not be able to really comment upon how adequate the evaluation process has been. I think to judge them as being deficient in their scrutiny would also be improper without our having the ability to independently evaluate the data. So what I would say is first let the data be put in the public domain in the whatever forum, preferably in the form of a peer-reviewed scientific publication or otherwise, so that independent experts can also judge the quality of data. I think the concern that's being raised by several of the experts is because the data are not available, not because they're inherently suspecting the review process in terms of credibility. So I would really say that let's look at the data before we start criticizing the regulatory approvals. 
but let us ask for the data. So the data is not available in the public domain in many cases as yet? Yes, they should be. Doctor, one last question before we sign off. Uh, you spoke to us about vaccine equity and the necessity to ensure that the many, many under-vaccinated countries in the world also get access to the vaccine. How important is this in order to prevent the formation of newer variants of SARS-CoV-2? Well, it's absolutely important because if vulnerable people, whether it's elderly whose immune response is relatively weak or the immunocompromised in whom the immune response is deficient to start with, or where the immune response in both these groups fades fast, or any other person in whom the infection can linger on for some time, there is a great opportunity for the virus to mutate. And also, if large number of people get serious infection, even if they recover, then obviously the course of illness is going to be long enough to allow the virus to experiment with a lot of mutations inside the body. Now, on the other hand, if somebody gets vaccinated and has a virus exposure, and if the infection uh, results in a mild illness, which is short-lasting, with less number of virus particles being discharged into the air, then the opportunity for many mutations to occur in that particular person's body is much more limited. Therefore, it's in our interest to give as much protection to as many adults in the world as possible, focusing particularly on the needs of the elderly and the immunocompromised, but not limiting it to them, so that we cut down the number of serious prolonged infections across the world. Because it is those serious prolonged infections in many people that give the virus a great opportunity for multiple mutations to emerge. And some of these will become variants of concern. So the more we vaccinate adults across the world with equity, the less opportunity we are giving the virus to mutate at leisure and have dangerous variants emerging. Sorry, Doctor, one more related question. So there are there is a chance that we may see more variants of concern? We will probably see more variants. Whether they'll all be variants of concern or not depends partly on us because it is in the nature of the virus to mutate and it will experiment with mutations anyway. Mutations will occur because it's not that it's already doing it through a very intelligent mechanism. It is pure evolutionary biology where the virus will continue to make copies of itself and some of those copies will be flawed or different, let's put it that way. And if those mutations which are different give it a different variant character and if that variant acquires the capacity to infect much more, then it is to its survival advantage to propagate that particular variant at the expense of other variants. So it will prefer to have a much more infectious variant as its first priority. In that process, if it has to shed virulence, it will shed it for the simple reason that if the number of susceptible people whom it can infect become limited, then obviously it cannot kill all of them and survive on its own. It, its species won't survive. The evolutionary biology will drive that process where progressively it will increase its infectiousness but reduce its virulence. But that also means that we have to adopt behaviors which facilitate that process by not giving it an easy route for transmission to a large number of people. So the more people we make immune by vaccination, the more difficult we make it to transmit by wearing masks and avoiding crowds, we are giving, putting an evolutionary pressure on the virus to change to a milder form. Over a period of time, it will change to a milder form with greater infective power, but much less virulence. And that is the objective we must aim for. Omicron could be a step in that direction. It may not be the last step. We may be still able to push it further 
the lower levels of virulence, it might become like a common cold virus. It may not be, it has not reached that stage yet. But if we allow the virus a free passage, enough number of human bodies which it can infect and then have all kinds of variants emerging, then it has the leisure, in, at least in some of the people who are infected and become ill for a long time, uh, to come up with uh, more infectious but equally virulent uh, mutations and uh, variants. There's one more factor that must be understood. Mutations occur because of two types of mechanisms. One is called antigenic drift, in which the genetic material of the virus keeps changing in the mutations. But it's the original genetic material which has some variations. But it, mutations can also occur through antigenic shift, where the virus meets in the body of somebody whom it is infected, another virus which has also infected that person, and exchanges genetic material with that virus. And you create a new virus through that antigenic shift. Now, that can be for the better, because if the coronavirus that causes COVID meets up the coronavirus which causes common cold, it might acquire greater infectivity but less virulence. But on the other hand, if it meets some other virus which is more virulent, but also then this particular new variant that emerges will also have a greater virulence. So we should prevent as many infections as possible by wearing masks and our physical distancing, but at the same time vaccinate as many people as possible so that even if people are infected, the infection is very short-lasting and there is not enough time for these antigenic drifts and antigenic shifts to occur in the body of the infected person. So as always, vaccine, mask, physical distance. Yes, I think the formula is fairly set. There's no point in our saying that this is the same old tune. It's a time-tested prescription which has emerged even more successful. The only correction that has actually happened over the last year is because of the misconception that was in most people's minds, including that of some scientists, that vaccines will prevent transmission. Uh, no, or prevent infection. No, they do not fully prevent infection. They reduce the risk of infection because they reduce the viral load in the body, but they do not prevent infection per se in the first place in most people. Masks do, whereas vaccines will reduce the severity of illness. So we need to use both of them till we get control of this pandemic. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, doctor. Most welcome. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.